Anytime they find us, they will send us to the border. But we were, God was protecting us because was, he was using us at that time. I'm Jacob Mel. Welcome to episode seven of Beyond Soundbites. This podcast is produced in collaboration with the Refugee Highway Partnership North America, a network of churches, ministries, and individuals serving forcibly displaced people in the U.S. and Canada. In episodes one through six, we went beyond sound bites by listening for the presence of God in the stories of displaced people in Turkey, searching for their personhood while we tried to avoid the pitfalls of using their stories for our own agendas as advocates. Episodes 7 through 10 function as a sequence that takes us beyond soundbites in a different sense. We'll hear updates from some of the people overseas we met in previous episodes, and through the lenses of policy, theology, missiology, song, and poetry, we'll look at what has happened in a couple of regions of the globe since two years ago when President Trump announced his original travel ban, a symbolic policy that sent a message to the international community and jump-started his administration's mission to tighten immigration and reduce refugee resettlement in the U.S. How do we take the long view on these issues? How do we continue to listen to those left in the wake of policies that flashed as headlines already long forgotten by the world's privileged populations? And how do we reconcile the saving movement of God in a landscape that feels cursed? I hope the next few episodes can speak to these questions. If you're new to the podcast, you can jump in here, but I'd recommend at least skimming episode one to catch the broader vision of this project. Let's get started. What's your questions? Sorry, I'm, I'm, I'm working and talking. That's why it's just audio. The phone is on my pocket and I'm moving to pack my bags. Yeah. <laughs> yes. This is Insaf Safu, an Iraqi-Canadian woman speaking from her home in Ontario in September 2017. She's preparing for a trip to visit refugees in the Middle East. Do you know I'm collecting gifts to take with me to the families, Syrian families, refugee in Lebanon. And people bring me like a new clothes, second-hand clothes. I'm trying to separate them. I'm just taking the good one. Insaf has traveled back to Iraq over 30 times since she left there herself as a refugee in the 90s and eventually resettled with her family to Canada. I first met her a year before through the Refugee Highway Partnership. Since then, I've heard Insaf share her story a couple of times. I've been in planning meetings and on conference calls with her. I know that she's accustomed to talking about her family's journey to people who will never fully understand it. Nonetheless, when I asked if she would field some questions, her openness conveyed a firm, humble generosity that still surprised me and somehow issued a challenge at the same time. Uh, no, no. <laughs> no, she just, yeah. Uh, but no, you still can ask me. That's fine. Okay. Oh, if I start, that means I need at least like 30 minutes just to keep uh, answer one question. Is that okay with you? Insof proceeded to give a half-hour monologue with a sort of rehearsed grace while she sorted clothing and packed her bags. What follows is a condensed version that begins after she and her family left Iraq due to pressures and dangers the family faced as religious minorities under Saddam Hussein in the mid-90s. It's a story that reminds us how God's center of movement is often in the places the world considers the fringe, 
As we reflect in these episodes on some of the policies that have affected displaced people since the travel ban, I couldn't think of a better way to start. We came to Turkey in 1994 with my family, my husband, my two children, Peter, he was eight years old, and Noor, she was six years old. We thought we are going to stay in Istanbul for six months, then we immigrated to Canada. But we stayed seven years. We wasn't ready for that time, but God took us in this journey step by step. Sorry. Uh, when we arrived there, we have some money. We thought it will last, will, like will help us to survive for a few months. The money is gone, and uh, we face to have to. Ha- we have to pay rent, and then we will have to uh, live like we have two kids. We have to buy them food and clothes and all the stuff. My husband found a job, and that what 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 he get monthly is enough to pay the rent. But we still need more for food and for other home expenses, and. That means I have to find a work. At that time, we used to go to a Union Church of Istanbul. It's a, a church in the Dutch um, embassy. Uh, we used to go there and start to talk, tell people, I'm looking for a job. Anyone know where can I find a job? One day, my friend, she, one friend, she came and she said, oh, there's a school looking for a cleaner. And me, myself, I'm a physics teacher. I taught in Iraq in high school, and for me to work in a, as a cleaner is a big shock for me, and it's something is not for easy for me to accept. But I need the money at the same time, and I can't ask people, uh, anyone, even relative or anyone, to give me money. I can't ask that, and I have to work. I she took me to the school. We went to the school and. The principal, when he opened the door, he looked to me, he said, what's your professional in your country? I told him, a physics teacher. He said, are you sure you want to to do this work? Ah, he said, do you want to teach physics? I said, no. He said, uh, are you sure you want this job? I said, there's no, no, no other choice. I need, I have a family, I have a kids, we need the money. Then he said, uh, okay, he took me tour in the school, toilets, classroom. He asked me, he said, I have to clean this and clean that and do all the stuff. And uh, while he's talking, it's like for me, it's, it's very hard, like you putting a knife in my heart. Then after he took me tour in the church, in the school, he said, do you want a job? I said, oh, I need time. I need to pray. I can't answer you now. I went home and I started to pray and cry and ask God one question. I said, okay, I know you love me. I know you have a, a wonderful life for me, but I don't know why you want me to work as a cleaner in a place where I used to work as a teacher. Uh, I, I I need to know the reason. Okay, while I'm I'm praying and crying, and then I start to hear his voice. 
God's beautiful voice said, Okay, I am the Lord who created the earth and heaven. I created the world. I left my throne and I came to earth to serve you. The Son of Man, he didn't come to be served, but to serve and give himself for his people. Is the disciple better than their master? Is the servant better than his master? What you are proud of? Are you better than me? Then I said, oh, forgive me, Lord. I'm going to take the job. Okay, anyway, I went and I took the job. But for one month, I'm cleaning and crying at the same time because I felt like it's too much for me. Ensaf's deep prayerfulness and communion with God grows from a conversion experience a decade before. She was born into the Chaldean Catholic Church, an eastern rite of the Roman Catholic Church, but in 1984 she encountered Jesus in a way that changed her. She retained her connections with her community but also began attending an evangelical Protestant church, pursuing a more active and personal faith which she carried with her into exile. In addition to working as a cleaner, another challenge that came during their first year in Istanbul is that their application to resettle in Canada was rejected. All that Insaf describes next took place during the interval of waiting before they did eventually resettle to Canada. At the same time, I start to meet with Iraqi people in Istanbul, and I saw all these people like have their problem and surviving with their problems, and they live very hard and difficult life. And always, the solution for all these problem is Jesus. I said, my people need to know Jesus, but how we can preach the gospel to them, how we can share this. Uh, when we went to the uh, Turkish church and the preacher was Suryani. He speak Arabic, a little Arabic and Suryani. And I asked him, I said, would you please come to our home? And then you, you do like you teach people, like we do, like Bible study. You, you preach, you speak about God's love to the people. And uh, he said, my, uh, my Arabic is not enough. I said, I will help you. Just come and we will work together for that. He said, okay. Then he started to come every 10 days, weeks. Uh, he started to share with us like uh, um, from God's word. After five months, the house started to be full with people and no room and only this Turkish man with broken Arabic, he is preaching. And then uh, I started to find the place where I'm working as a cleaner is a Christian school and all these teachers are uh, machinery uh, in Istanbul. Then I start to ask them a question. Uh, are you missionary here just for the Turkish people? Does anyone have hearts for Iraqi? We are Iraqi refugee. We live here. We need some help. Uh, anyone willing to, to help us? Through a connection with a teacher at the school, Insaf got permission to use meeting space in a local church building. They showed the Jesus film in Arabic, 
more families from the Iraqi community started connecting. One day, a foreigner sitting in the back came up to her after service with two envelopes. He came to me and he gave me like uh, Turkish money, which is equal to $20. He said, this is for your family. Spend it, buy food, buy whatever you need for the family. And then he gave me another envelope, but closed envelope. He said, don't open this here. Open it at home. Don't tell anyone except your husband. There's money inside the envelope. Use it to help your people. Okay. When I went home, I opened the envelope, and I saw inside the envelope 600 U.S. dollar. And I scared because this first time in my life, I have God's money in my hand. And I feel like, uh, oh, Lord, um, how can I spend this money? I don't know how to spend it. Then I start to pray. And the week after, he came, the same man, and I told him, you gave me the money, but you didn't tell me how to spend it. I was praying all the week about that. He said, oh, I'm happy you prayed. I will not tell you how to spend it. You are a mother, and you know, as a mother, what family need. I said, uh, um, it's October now. Children need, like, uh, the long sleeve um, uh, fanella, something to wear under their clothes. And he said, yeah, go and buy gloves, umbrella, hats. Insaf continued receiving support for her ministry week by week. In time, there came to be around 120 Iraqi families connected to the church, although it was constantly in flux because families would come and go, some being resettled to the U.S., Australia, or Canada. The whole ministry was done by prayer, and it was all done on the fringes of the dominant culture that was hosting them. We, we all we were illegal at that time. Illegal, that means now refugee in Istanbul, they have papers, they are legal. But we, we, when we were there, we were illegal. Anytime they find us, they will send us to the border. But we were, God was protecting us because was, he was using us at that time. We stayed seven years in Istanbul. Before we were waiting for, we were just want to come to Canada, but after that, we became very busy with the ministry. We never thought to come to Canada. We just want to be in Turkey serving the Lord, happy with all these people who getting to know the Lord. Insaf offered a simplified version of her story, of course. She's a busy woman and she had things to do. I can only guess at some of the challenges and depths of hardship she doesn't offer up to any casual inquiry. Since at least the 1970s, ethnic and religious minorities in northern Iraq have faced persecution and injustice. Insaf left during Saddam Hussein's program of Arabization, an attempt to secure control of oil-rich areas in the north by forcing non-Arabs and religious minorities out while incentivizing Arabs to move in. Since she came to Canada and the U.S. began its second Iraq war, the country's Christian population has decreased from somewhere between 800,000 and 1.4 million to fewer than 250,000, according to the State Department. Other State Department data shows, with sad irony, 
that in fiscal year 2018, the U.S. allowed fewer than 60 Iraqi Christians to enter through the refugee resettlement program. In the three previous years, between two and 3,000 of them were accepted annually. The twisted agendas of human leaders, be they dictators or presidents, and the promises of God's kingdom are somehow playing out all at the same time, and we find him at work in the midst of it, in stories like the one Insaf just shared. In the next episode, we'll come back to Turkey to hear brief updates from Peter, Roman, and Oge, who you met in earlier episodes. All of them are living in a place between places, very similar to Insaf's exile ministry 25 years ago. If you want to hear more of Insaf's story, you can find it in the book They Say We Are Infidels, written by Mindy Bells, editor of World Magazine. Mindy has accompanied Insaf on a number of trips back to Iraq, and I used the book to fill in some of Insaf's biographical information in this episode. If you'd like to support Insaf's ministry, please send an email to info at rhpna.com.